Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here this morning for our Congregation of Prayer, Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer in God's Word. Today is January 23rd, 2021. On Saturdays for our Congregation of Prayer, I'd like to actually look at the Old Testament and Epistle reading for tomorrow, and then uh, provide some catechesis to help prepare you to receive God's Word tomorrow. Tomorrow being the Feast of the Transfiguration, which we celebrate on the last Sunday in Epiphany. Uh, if you're on the one-year series, you know that there's a, a season that comes between Epiphany and Lent, called uh, sometimes called pre-Lent, but uh, usually referred to by their Latin titles, the Gesima Sundays. Um, so starts with Septuagesima, meaning 70, sun, 70 days until Easter. Right. Um, and can talk more about that when we get to it. But for now, let's prepare for tomorrow. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So our memory verse for this week. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. And our psalm, second half of Psalm 105. Then Israel came to Egypt, Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their, he their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. He struck down all the firstborn in their land and the firstfruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering, and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail, and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise, and Abraham his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, and his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the land, lands of the nations, and they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. 
Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, our epistle for tomorrow is from 2 Peter chapter 1. This is Peter's account of the transfiguration. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the dawn, day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. There ends the reading. Obviously, uh, Peter's text here has quite a bit to do with our understanding of what is Scripture, right? And it's the revelation of God, namely God in, in, in Christ, right, who is God the Father's beloved Son, right? And uh, Peter also likens then to a morning star that rises in the heart, right? And then from Exodus, our Old Testament reading for tomorrow, now... It was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone, Then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. All right, here is the reading. So we have uh, Moses coming down the mountain to speak God's word uh, to the people. But note, his word is accompanied with this sign that he had been in the presence of of the eternal glory, or as Peter called it, uh, the excellent glory, that he had been in the presence of God and that God had given him his word. Now, to hear his word, of course, is to be in his presence as well. Uh, And that's how God chooses to make himself known to us, is through his word, through preaching, through teaching. Now, that doesn't prevent many of us from trying to seek or find God in other places. Uh, But those other places are what uh, St. Peter called in the epistle reading, what he called uh, a dark place, right? Now, Luther talks about this in a little bit different terms, and my intention tomorrow is to, a little bit behind, not a little bit, a lot behind this week. Uh, we had quite a few additional commitments this week, as is last week. Um, Luther likens this um, to a distinction between the hidden and the revealed God. And I think, I think there's a close connection between the two. 
Um, this distinction, uh, of course, is made in Luther, uh, but it was really articulated and brought together um, by a number of men in the last mm, hundred years, uh, last rather even fifty years, who will remain unnamed for the sake of uh, those who like to pronounce guilt by association. So if I mention these names, then automatically some will disclude what I'm about to say. Um, but <laughs> that doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, but from one of them, one of these teachers, here's, here's what he has to say uh, in regards to this hidden and revealed God. When God can't be found, it is because God does not want to be found and quite literally hides from would-be seekers. Such a God is living, personal, and fearful because this God is in control of the verb to hide. God also does something to us by hiding. It is not the case that God benignly rests in heaven with a substance of some high and spiritual sort, ultimately unreachable by human minds, and there waits for us to make some effort at knowing him by analogy or speculation. God God hides in this world. While God is an, quote, all the way God, who gives himself fully in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons also hide so as to not be found where God will not rule creation by sheer mercy. That is, when people are not hearing in the world, but speculating out of this world. All right? So, God is hidden from those who seek God by means other than his word. That's what he's saying. Why would God do this? Why does anyone hide? One hides initially, of course, so as to not be found. Yet, even in the game of hide and seek, a child initially hides so as to as not to be found in one place, only later to reveal herself in the safe goal with a cry, Here I am. The game would, have, would have no point if remaining forever unfound were its goal. God's game of hide-and-seek is not far different, though the game, quote-unquote, is a matter of life and death. God hides so as to not be found where people seek him and reveals himself where he is not sought. Right, so this is the... Uh, the scandal of the cross, ultimately. That's where he wants to be found. In the safe goal, so to speak, God can declare a new sort of victory over hapless seekers for meaning, certitude, affirmation, fame, success, and whatever else humans have determined to be of worth to themselves while breaking the first commandment, having other gods. It's really brilliant writing. Um, by the way, this is, I'll just mention, it is Stephen Paulson, um, who has an excellent podcast uh, on 1517 as well. <laughs> along with my podcast, um, is one of the considered one of the, oh, I guess resident theologians of the uh, of the organization. Uh, I'm not going to show the rest of this article. This is from, uh, well, I can't even mention where it's from, or I'll get in trouble with my Missouri Synod brothers. But um, uh, there's politics and everything, right? Okay, but he does point out a couple of God's hiding games, if you like, if you want to call them games. I mean, the first one, of course, is in the Garden of Eden, right? Um, where with the fig leaves and and uh, that really illustrates why God hides. Um, his first hiding place, he says, was there in the uh, in the garden. All right, so we'll skip through this. His second hiding time. Um, let's see where is that. This is mentioned. What is he telling us? What's the context? Okay, well I'm just going to skip over that. But I do want to actually share. Um, what Luther, where Luther actually talks about um, this, rather than just speculating that this is Lutheran doctrine, I want to actually look at Luther, and this is in his Genesis lectures. 
Now, he does it also in his bondage of the will. He does it in small called articles. There's many places where Luther uses this this, uh, distinction of God revealed and God hidden. Sorry for the noises there in the background. You can hear those. I'm going to send a text here to the uh, to the fam. All right, there we go. So um, this is in Genesis 28. And it's just interesting, the context that Luther does this. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Right? So this is the story of Isaac doing the same thing that his father did twice. <laughs> Abraham. Like father, like son, right? This is what Luther says about the text. All these things are simply matters of the household and of government. And nothing is taught about the grand and truly spiritual things concerning which the gospel preaches. That is, about faith in Christ, about the Trinity, about the resurrection of the dead, and the victory over sin, death, and the devil. For this reason, they are despised by the hypocrites who pretend to have a great spirit and sanctity. They say, of quote, of what concern or carnal matters to us, this idea of uh, Isaac uh, lying to the king about his relationship, his um, being married to his wife. Of what concern are carnal matters to us? It is as though they themselves were actually living without the flesh, as though they did not drink, did not eat, did not sleep, and did not have male and female sex, and finally as though they had no need of all the carnal things or were not at all concerned about them. But they have no understanding or knowledge of what the spirit or of the flesh is. Accordingly, it is because of these fanatical notions that the Holy Spirit records such childish things and matters that pertain to the management of the household. I'll say this again. This is just brilliant from Luther. Accordingly, it is because of these fanatical notions that everything has to be this higher spiritual reality, that the Holy Spirit records such childish things and matters that pertain to the management of the household. And he points out that he also directs the physical activities without, without which the life cannot be guided or preserved. For even the enthusiasts themselves much as they seem to shun carnal things, also have need of food, drink, and clothing, why then would we not discuss how one should eat and live in godliness and with a good conscience? For in the church one must teach not only about the future life as the gospel teaches, without taking into account the present life, although it is it by no means despises this life. But we should regulate our life according to the law and teach men how to live a godly and honorable life until the last day for we are born and die every day. All right, so this applies not only to my discussion about politics, but like the sermon last week, a discussion about marriage, right? The Holy Spirit, God's word, has something to say about these things. Uh, we don't only speak of spiritual matters. Um, and, and the reason is, was right there in there. What did he say? It had to do with the, yeah, it's right here. Why then would we not discuss how one should eat and live in godliness and with a good conscience, all right? That is, in faith toward God. Consequently, one must teach how a wife should conduct herself toward her husband and how a servant should conduct himself toward his master. One should not steal, commit adultery, etc. Quote, unquote, but these are all our carnal matters, the enthusiast will say. Right indeed. But if it does not please you to make use of these, also give up food, drink, clothes, and the like. All these things are institutions and creatures of God given for this life, which should be spent in an honorable and godly manner until death. This must be said on account of that disgusting class of people who dream of another and, as if it were, super heavenly life above the clouds, although they are utterly unable to do without this present life. Right, so this is one of my 
Luther's right, right. I don't know. Luther must be my spirit animal or something. This is one of my pet peeves is we're always talking about heaven is my home. We talked about it in Bible class this week, I think, right? Or maybe it was morning prayer and provide nothing for the practical, for the real, for, for the day to day, for today, right? Uh, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today, Jesus said. All right. Now, um, then Luther deals with the actual lie from, a, from Isaac and the different kinds of ways that you can lie to the king, what kind of lie this was, and why it should actually plague his conscience. And how uh, So Luther becomes eminently practical here. I'm not going to read it all for you. This is volume five of Luther's works, by the way, which you have a copy at church um, in the library that you can borrow, of course, if you want. And uh, yeah, he talks about different kinds of lying and, and the effects of those lies, etc. All right, now I got to keep scrolling. Here we go. I think this is where I want to be. Yeah. All right. Consequently, God, according to the blasphemy of these people, was horribly foolish when he sent his son, promulgated the law and the gospel, and sent the apostles, if the only thing he wanted was that we should be uncertain and in doubt whether we are saved or really damned. I could have gone back a little further. But anyway. But these are delusions of the devil, with which he tries to cause us to doubt and disbelieve, although Christ came into this world to make us completely certain. For eventually either despair must follow or contempt for God, for the Holy Bible, for baptism, and for all the blessings of God through which he wanted us to be strengthened over and against uncertainty and doubt. For they will say with the Epicureans, quote, let us live, eat, and drink, tomorrow we shall die. After the manner of the Turks, they will rush rashly into the sword and fire, since the hour in which you either die or escape has been predetermined. But to these thoughts, here's the key, one must oppose the true and firm knowledge of Christ. Just as I often remind you that it is profitable and necessary above all that the knowledge of God be completely certain in us and that we cling to it with firm assent of the heart. Otherwise, our faith is useless. For if God does not stand by his promises, then our salvation is lost. While on the other hand, this is our comfort, that although we change, we nevertheless flee for refuge to him who is unchangeable. For in Malachi 3, he makes this assertion about himself. Quote, I, the Lord, do not change. And in Romans 11, states, the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. Accordingly, this is how I have taught in my book on the bondage of the will, and elsewhere, namely, that a distinction must be made when one deals with the knowledge, or rather, with the subject of the divinity. All right, so now here's the key. A distinction must be made but, um, be made when one deals with the knowledge, um, or rather, the subject of the divinity of God. For one must debate either about the hidden God or about the revealed God. With regard to God, insofar as he has not been revealed, there is no faith, no knowledge, and no understanding. Right? So if you try to talk about God in the mountain or God in the forest, or there's no certainty. What did he say there again? There can be no faith, no knowledge, and no understanding. It's beyond reason and strength, as we say in the third article. All right. And here, one must hold to the statement that what is above us is none of our concern. For thoughts of this kind, which investigate something more sublime, above or outside the revelation of God, are altogether devilish. With them, nothing more is achieved than that we plunge ourselves into destruction, for they present an object that is inscrutable, namely, the unrevealed God. 
why not rather let God keep his decisions and mysteries in secret? We have no reason to exert ourselves so much that these decisions and mysteries be revealed to us. All right, now, of course, that doesn't stop us from trying to figure out the reasons why XYZ is happening to us or happening in this world or happening in our church, whatever it is, apart from God's word. Right? The only answer that we can give is what God has actually revealed to us, right? Um, so every, every occasion, especially of Ill, evil or of ill, is an opportunity or a moment for us to confess our sins and our unworthiness, right? And to pray for the grace of God. That's been revealed to us. As to like why, you know, there was the particular thunderstorm or hurricane or whatever it was, God doesn't tell us. Right? So that's what Luther's talking about. Um, but he's also talking about just like the, imagining the, the grandness of the spiritual. Yeah. He doesn't have any patience for that. And this is a theologian, right? I mean, Luther is eminently practical. All right, now to, uh, to our Old Testament lesson for tomorrow. Moses too asked God to show him his face, but the Lord replies, quote, you shall see my back, but you will not be able to see my face, Exodus 33. For this inquisitiveness is original sin itself by which we are impelled to strive for a way to God through natural speculation. But this is a great sin and a useless and futile attempt. For this is what Christ says in John 6, 65. No one comes to the Father but by me. Therefore, when we approach the unrevealed God, then there is no faith, no word, and no knowledge. For he is invisible, an invisible God, and you will not make him visible. Furthermore, God has most sternly forbidden this investigation of the divinity. Thus, when the apostles ask in Acts 1, has it not been predestined that at, at this time the kingdom should be restored? Christ says to them, quote, it is not for you to know the times. Let me be hidden where I have not, been revealed my, where I have not revealed myself to you, says God, or you will be the cause of your own destruction, just as Adam fell in a horrible manner. For he who investigates my majesty will be overwhelmed by my glory. Now, of course, this is why we're going to talk about this tomorrow, because we have the mountain of transfiguration, and we have uh, God the Father, well, you have Jesus himself revealed as having the fullness of the glory of God, right? His face shining, his clothes dazzling white, the disciples falling down in fear, rightly so, right? Because this is God as he has not revealed himself to us. This is God in his hidden majesty, right? In that moment, it's revealed, uh, and it's terrifying. In the same way that the people were terrified of Moses having been in the presence of God. But then the Father's words are key. The Father's words are key. He says, This is my beloved Son, just like at the baptism. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then he adds just a few words. And these are the key words listen to him. Right? How do you want, how, how does God want to be known? He wants you to be known through Jesus, by listening to him. All right? Not by, um, three tents on top of a mountain for Moses and Elijah and Jesus, right? And then, you know, the glory of God and, and its terrifying and awesome presence. He wants to be known in his word. Of course, that defies reason and strength because it seems far too, as Luther pointed out, seems far too um, carnal, right? Jesus. Well, Jesus is incarnated, right? <laughs> Born of the Virgin Mary. Is that too carnal for you? Is that a God that's too close to you? Hmm. Furthermore, God has most sternly forbidden this investigation of the divinity. Thus, when the apostles ask in Acts 1, 
no, we already talked about that. Okay. Uh, you will be overwhelmed by my glory. And it is true that God wanted to counteract this curiosity at the very beginning, for this is how he set, set forth his will and counsel. I will reveal my foreknowledge and predestination to you in an extraordinary manner, but not by this way of reason and carnal wisdom as you imagine. This is how I will do so. From an unrevealed God, I will become a revealed God. Nevertheless, I will remain the same God. I will be made flesh or send my son. You shall die for your sins and shall rise again from the dead. And in this way, I will fulfill your desire in order that you may be able to know whether you are predestined or not. Behold, this is my son. Listen to him. Matthew 17, 5. Look at him as he lies in the manger and on the lap of his mother as he hangs on the cross. Observe what he does and what he says. There you will surely take hold of me For he who sees me, says Christ, also sees the Father himself, John 14. If you listen to him, are baptized in his name, and love his word, then you are surely predestined and are certain of your salvation. But if you revile or despise the word, then you are damned. For he who does not believe is condemned. You must kill the other thoughts and the ways of reason or of the flesh, for God detests them. The only thing you have to do is receive the Son so that Christ is welcome in your heart in his birth, miracles, and cross. For here is the book of life in which you have been written. And this is the only and the most efficacious remedy for the horrible disease, that horrible disease because of which human beings in their investigation of God want to proceed in a speculative manner and eventually rush into despair and contempt. If you want to escape despair, hatred, and blasphemy of God, give up your speculation about the hidden God and cease to strive in vain to see the face of God. Otherwise, you will have to remain perpetually in unbelief and damnation, and you will have to perish. For he who doubts does not believe, and he who does not believe is condemned. Therefore, we should detest and shun these vicious words which the Epicureans bandy about. If this is how it must happen, let it happen. Or as we say it today, um, it is what it is. I know that's helpful for alcoholics. <laughs> it came from AA, um, but it's not true. For God did not come down from heaven to make you uncertain about predestination, to teach you to despise the sacraments, absolution, and the rest of the divine ordinances. This is how God reveals himself, right? Indeed, he instituted them to make you completely certain and to remove the disease of doubt from your heart in order that you might not only believe with the heart, but also see with your physical eyes and touch with your hands. I feel like I should just preach this tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Why then do you reject these and complain that you do not know whether you have been predestined? You have the gospel. You have been baptized. You have absolution. You are a Christian. Nevertheless, you doubt and say that you do not know whether you believe or not, whether you regard as true what is preached about Christ in the word and sacraments. But you will say, I cannot believe. Thus many are troubled by this trial. And I recall that at Torgau, a little woman came to me and complained with tears in her eyes that she could not believe. Then, when I recited the articles of the Creed in order, and asked about each one whether she was convinced that these things were true, and had happened in this manner or not, she answered, I certainly think that they are true, but I cannot believe. This was a satanic illusion. Ooh, Luther's bold. Consequently, I kept saying, if you think that all these things are true, there is no reason why you should complain about your unbelief. 
For if you do not doubt that the Son of God died for you, you surely believe, because to believe is nothing else than to regard these facts as the sure and unquestionable truth. God says to you, Behold, you have my Son. Listen to him and receive him. If you do this, you are already sure about your faith and salvation. But I do not know, you will say, whether I am remaining in the faith. At all events, accept the present promise and the predestination, and do not inquire too curiously about the secret counsels of God. If you believe in the revealed God and accept his word, he will gradually also reveal the hidden God. For, quote, he who sees me also sees the Father. He who rejects the Son also loses the unrevealed God along with the revealed God. But if you cling to the revealed God with a firm faith so that your heart is minded that you will not lose Christ even if you are deprived of everything, then you are most assuredly predestined and you will understand the hidden God, right? So what Luther's saying is the only way you can understand the un... un the ununderstandable, right? The terror, vileness, the wickedness in this world, um, our rebellion against God, is if we are grounded in faith in God, and then we see that which cannot be seen. Um, let me just read two more sentences, and then I have a comment. Indeed, you are understand him even now if you acknowledge the Son in His will, namely that He wants to reveal Himself to you, that He wants to be your Lord and Savior. Therefore, you are sure that God is also your Lord and Father. Ah, oh, I just want to keep reading, but I'm not going to. Um, this is one of the reasons why Christians actually can um, call out uh, the philosophies of this world um, as they're exercised in, in, in business, um, in family, uh, in politics, in culture. We, we actually not only can, but we have the authority to call these things out for what they are. But recognize that apart from faith in Christ, no one else will understand. They won't understand why, why um, a faithful Christian is opposed uh, to, say, socialism. Now, I mean, we can make cases, uh, we can show all the negative examples, and yet people keep trying socialism because it's, it's, a, um, it's an idol. It's a demonic delusion. And we can actually point that out. We can point out how, um, that, how support of the poor and the needy through demand, through law, is contrary to God's word. God loves a cheerful giver, right? And if we, where you make demands, where you make obligation, um, there will not only be a resentment, but there will ultimately be rebellion. And so it actually fails. It always fails. It will always fail. Only, only uh, faith exercised in love can actually accomplish that which the socialist uh, hopes to do through law and through uh, obligation, demand. So we can make that claim, but that's actually talking about the hidden in light of the, the revealed. But without the revealed will of God, without understanding who Jesus is, you can't even talk about something as simple as love. Right? That's what Luther's talking about. So um, this is why a lot of people you know, long for this mountaintop experience. Uh, how'd the, how's the hymn go? I don't think we're going to sing it. Well, maybe we are going to sing it tomorrow. Uh, the Transfiguration Hymn. Tis good Lord to be here, right? Quoting St. Peter. <laughs> Tis good Lord to be here. And the answer is actually, well, if it's that you're there to listen to Jesus, yes. <clears throat> but that's not what Peter was referring to. He was referring to the unveiled majesty of God and let's set up tabernacles, let's, re, let's rebuild, you know, the, um, you know, like Shiloh or like uh, Bethel or, or like the temple, right? The glory of God has come back into his temple. Let's just build a new one right here. That's what Peter was suggesting. And he was deceived. That's not how God wants to be known. 
by us now. It's through his word. All right. So quite a bit of catechesis there, but hopefully that'll be helpful for you as you hear the sermon tomorrow, um, is to listen to Jesus and stop trying to find Jesus where he is and promise to be. Okay. Let's confess the sacrament of baptism. How can water do such great things? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things, along with faith, which trusts this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism, that is a life-giving water, rich in grace, and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. We pray. Heavenly Father, you teach us that the word of God in and with the water does great things, working forgiveness of sins, rescuing from us from the death, excuse me, rescuing us from death and the devil, and giving us the gift of eternal salvation. Without your word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with your word, our baptism is life-giving water, rich in grace, and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this precious teaching. Forgive us all doubt. Grant us firm faith to trust your word in the water, that every blessing of baptism may be ours. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. I don't see any of you there in the chat. Let's see if there was any questions. All right, good. Let's continue with prayer. On this Saturday, we pray for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. We pray that the Lord give to all people concord and peace, that he preserve our land from discord and strife, that he give our country his protection in every time of need, that he direct and defend our president and all in authority, that he bless and protect our magistrates and all our people, that he watch over and help all who are in danger, necessity, and tribulation, that he protect and guide all who travel, that he grant all women with child, especially Anne, and all mothers with infant children, increasing happiness in their blessings, that he defend all orphans and widows and provide for them. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Jan, Kelsey, Amanda, John, Janet, Timothy, and Robert, Sandy, Linda, Joan, Ken, Penny, Roman, and his family. Pray for our homebound, Bev, David, Willis and Janice, and Mickey. Pray for all the missions and mercy work of the church, especially Comfort Dog Ministry and Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Prayer collect for this week. Almighty and everlasting God, who governs all things in heaven and on earth, mercifully hear the prayers of your people and grant us your peace through all our days. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn one more time for this week. From from God the Father, Virgin Born.
your blessed epiphany to God whom all is hosts adore and all its spirit evermore. All right, it's so good to have you with us all here for our congregation of prayer today. January 23rd, 2021. Hopefully you found it on YouTube, as I uh, noted on Facebook. Um, We're disabled until tomorrow evening. So um, tomorrow's Divine Service will also not be streaming on Facebook Live, uh, but will be available, of course, live on YouTube um, and actually four other or three other platforms. Let's see, what do we have going? Uh, We're also available on Twitch, (laughs) DLive, and on Periscope, which... Probably most of you have no idea what those are, but at least YouTube. Uh, YouTube's very stable, so that should be fine. Uh, so be sure to find us there. If I have a chance before church, I'll post the link on the Facebook page. Um, but otherwise, just go to uh, youtube.com, uh, follow the link um, today, bookmark. Oh, just subscribe. So you'll need an uh, account on YouTube, but once you set up an account, you can, you can click subscribe, you can click the bell, and then that will be sure to send you an email to let you know when we're live. So that's another way. I'd be notified. Um, I don't know what happened with Facebook, and they won't answer any of my um, my messages. So I have to just wait, I guess. No explanation. Uh, I'm not alone in that. There's actually quite a few, not using our streaming platform, uh, but many people over the last couple of days have been uh, either deleted, banned, prohibited from posting, and Facebook's not saying a thing. So who knows? And honestly, who cares? just a minor inconvenience. All right. Uh, Lord be with you all, and we'll see you again in the morning for divine service at 930. Have a blessed day.